Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 146, Tackling Apple's Excess Cash. Hi, Neil. It's that time of the year, Apple earnings season. In a couple days, Apple will report second quarter 2019 earnings. And what has become an annual trend, whenever Apple reports second quarter numbers, the company also updates its capital return program. We are talking about share buyback and the quarterly cash dividend. In today's episode, we are going to go over my expectations for what Apple is going to announce next week. And I think this discussion is going to bring us to a broader point when it comes to Apple's excess cash. Management and the board still have an incentive to expand buyback and increase the quarterly cash dividend in a very big way. And we'll talk about how maybe over the long run, things will change a little bit. But I still think given Apple's excess cash position, its spending on capital return initiatives, we are in a very interesting spot when it comes to capital return. Whenever we talk about Apple earnings, there are always so many moving parts. I have estimates. I have assumptions. There are different expectations that everyone holds. But I think next week when Apple reports earnings, one of the more certain items found with Apple's report is that the board will approve increases to the company's share buyback authorization and the quarterly cash dividend. Now, these two capital initiatives are polarizing topics. I've said before that when talking about Apple financials, the biggest debate, the topic that I get the most questions about is buyback. And second place, the second most discussed topic, it's nowhere close. It's all about buyback. Drilling down into this debate, my thinking is that the way someone thinks about Apple ultimately impacts their view on Apple's buyback and dividend plans. And what that means is that if you don't think Apple is innovating enough, if you don't think Apple's coming up with new products fast enough, or maybe Apple is not responding to certain changes in the marketplace, you will likely have some objections to the buyback program. And instead, you would want Apple to spend its excess cash either on M&A or put it in R&D, even maybe CapEx. And then the other side of this debate looks at Apple as a cash flow generating machine. And Apple is generating so much cash that the company can spend on organic growth opportunities. It can pursue M&A opportunities. It still has so much cash left over. And in order to optimize the balance sheet, it turns to buyback and quarterly cash dividends as a way of removing that excess cash. That really is, in essence, the debate surrounding Apple's capital return program. One of the best places to really dive into this discussion is to focus on what has changed between now and last year at this time. And going through the archive, I went to episode 124, Doubling the Buyback. After listening to that episode and also reading the corresponding Above Avalon Weekly article, it occurred to me that the big question back in 2018 was what will Apple do 
in response to U.S. tax reform. This is when Apple would be able to take all of its foreign cash, it's the cash that's not in its U.S. subsidiaries, bring it back and actually spend it on capital return initiatives. That was the big unknown heading into Apple's second quarter last year. And that was where most of our discussion was focused on. In my view, Apple could double the buyback, which is pretty remarkable because the buyback was already pretty aggressive. It turns out that's exactly what Apple did. The share buyback authorization that Apple's board approved last year, $100 billion, matched my estimate. This year, we find ourselves in a little bit of a different situation. The question isn't so much, well, how will Apple respond to U.S. tax reform? Instead, it's how does Apple continue to view its access cash position? Does the board... Does management still have an incentive to ramp buyback, to increase the quarterly cash dividend? Or do we see some changes taking place? Maybe Apple is looking at M&A a little bit differently, and they want to keep a little bit more excess cash on the balance sheet. I think that's what the debate is. So it's a little bit different. And this is one of the great things with a podcast is because we can have a discussion that essentially is a continuation of what we've talked about in the past. And this is a great example. And so if you haven't listened to episode 124, I would recommend that as a start. And then what you'll find is that this episode builds upon episode 124. So in a way, we can take into account all of the changes, all of the news, all of the developments that took place over the past year to advance our discussion. And that's really my goal with this podcast, is I think we can have a series of different discussions on different topics related to Apple, but we can continue that discussion going forward. So as developments occur, if I need to change my assumptions or if my perspective does begin to change we can talk about it. That's what's so amazing with the podcast. And in a way, I could actually do this also through words with the weekly articles, the daily updates, etc. With that, let's take a closer look at some of the numbers. In order to come up with estimates or expectations for what Apple will announce next week regarding the capital return program, I wanted to see how much money has Apple been spending on capital return. In particular, how much did Apple spend last year, fiscal year 2018. Prior to U.S. tax reform, Apple had been spending approximately $50 billion annually on capital return initiatives. And for this discussion, we are primarily talking about buyback and dividends. Another item, net share settlement, we're really not going to discuss in this episode just because it's a pretty small piece of the puzzle. And I don't think we really have to spend too much time on it. That total, roughly $50 billion per year, was funded by a mixture of free cash flow and debt. And the reason Apple issued debt is because a lot of the cash was in offshore, non-U.S. subsidiaries. Once Apple was able to bring back its foreign cash to the U.S. at a favorable tax rate, the pace of capital return increased materially. Last year, Apple spent $90 billion on capital return. 
Over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, Apple's $400 billion buyback program, Exhibit 1, contains all of the numbers going back to 2012. So if you are interested in those numbers, just check that out. I'll have a link in the show notes. Assuming Apple doesn't spend a significant amount of its excess cash on M&A, the company has enough cash to continue spending nearly $100 billion on capital return annually for at least the next two years. How do I come up with that assertion? Apple's kicking off between $50 billion and $60 billion of free cash flow annually. At a very basic level, free cash flow is the amount of cash that is left over after Apple pays all of its bills, funds, organic growth opportunities, etc. This means that Apple ends up spending somewhere between $40 billion to $50 billion of its excess cash that's on its balance sheet to fund things like share buyback and quarterly cash dividends. A conservative measure is that Apple has about $100 billion of truly excess cash on the balance sheet. So that means that Apple can maintain this pace of capital return for at least two years. Again, 40 to $50 billion of excess cash is being used to fund capital return. Two years would get you to about 80 to $100 billion. Over the long run, things are a little bit different. Apple's current business footprint supports an annual capital return budget of closer to $50 billion per year. So what does all this mean? There's a lot of numbers floating around, a lot of big numbers floating around. I think we are in a period where Apple is ramping buyback in order to remove the excess cash that's on its balance sheet. So if the company currently has somewhere in the neighborhood of $100 billion of truly excess cash, they're spending about 40 to $50 billion of that per year. It takes two years. The excess cash will be removed. And then Apple can then rely on its free cash flow to fund things like buyback and dividends. This is one reason why I think Apple's board is going to announce a pretty significant increase in share buyback authorization next week. It's because Apple still has a very significant excess cash position. Since launching the buyback, each year, Apple's board has approved an increase in authorization. Last year, we had the record increase of $100 billion. That was double the amount of the previous record increase in Apple buyback authorization. This brings us to the fun part, estimating more precisely what Apple's board is going to do next week. In order to estimate what I think authorization is going to be, I looked at what is the current pace of buyback, and more importantly, how much buyback authorization does Apple still have? Now, for those of you who may not be too familiar with share buyback and this idea of buyback authorization, I'll go over this pretty quickly. When a public company announces a buyback program, they will say, well, we are launching a buyback program with authorization of a billion dollars, $10 billion. The amount, of course, changes depending on the company. 
That doesn't mean that the company in question is actually going to spend all of that authorization on buyback. Very often, the companies don't. They will spend a fraction of that authorization. Again, authorization is just really, it's allowing the company to buy back that much stock. It's not a requirement. They're not forced to buy back that much stock. Instead, a lot of public companies, they play this game where they just want to benefit from announcing a buyback because that usually is a signal to Wall Street that a management team thinks highly of their future. Or maybe a management team thinks that their stock price is undervalued. It's a positive signal. Very often, though, if you follow that company over time, they don't actually end up buying back the shares. They may buy back a few shares, and then over time, they'll say, well, you know, we had other initiatives come forward. We had other opportunities. In a previous life, I was an insurance analyst, and I would see this all the time. Companies would announce buyback programs, and then over time, they'll say something like, well, we actually wanted to keep our powder dry. That's usually just a way of saying, we didn't want to spend it on buyback. In reality, maybe the stock price shot up too high. They didn't want to spend it, or they just kind of wanted to sit on the cash, maybe pursue M&A. The thing with Apple is when they announce an authorization for buyback, they actually are spending all of that authorization. It's actually pretty rare on Wall Street. And so last year, the board approved a $100 billion increase to share buyback authorization. The total is $310 billion. One issue for Apple is that it was actually somewhat difficult to make its way through $100 billion of authorization in just one year. They actually have authorization left. At the end of December, Apple had $63 billion of share repurchase authorization remaining. And so what that means is that Apple can still buy $63 billion worth of stock without needing additional action or approval from the board. If we subtract that $63 billion of remaining share repurchase authorization from $310 billion, that's the overall buyback program. That means Apple worked its way through $247 billion of the $310 billion program. That's impressive. Because as we were just saying, most companies, they actually don't make their way through authorization. Now, all these numbers were as of the end of December. Apple had January, February, March to buy back shares. So if we assume Apple repurchased another $20 billion of stock between January and March. That will actually reduce the amount of remaining authorization for additional buyback. According to my estimate, again, assuming Apple bought back $20 billion of shares between January and March, Apple had closer to $43 billion of share buyback authorization remaining at the end of March. So that means if next week Apple's board does nothing and says we are not going to approve any additional increase to the share buyback authorization, we're going to keep it the same. That means Apple can spend about $40 billion on buyback without having to turn to the board for additional approval. That may be fine for most companies. 
$40 billion of share buyback authorization. The thing is, Apple spent $73 billion on buyback in 2018. So Apple needs additional authorization from the board for buyback just to maintain the pace. So the question is, how much additional authorization will the board approve next week? I saw some analysts say it could be as little as $30 billion, $25 billion. The logic behind that is that, well, if Apple has $43 billion of share buyback authorization remaining, and if a certain analyst expects the company to buy back, let's say, $70 billion or $75 billion of shares over the next year, that's where they're coming up with this estimate. Well, the board really only has to add maybe $30, $35 billion of authorization. There are a couple issues with that. There's little reason to think or assume that Apple is going to cut back on its share buyback pace. While Apple's buyback program was interrupted in the first quarter 2019 following the sudden and dramatic drop in product demand in China, it does look like Apple returned to buyback in January. So I'm not sure that assuming... Well, because China demand, there's increased questions around that. Maybe Apple is going to become more conservative with its buyback. I don't really buy that assumption. And we'll find out next week. But I don't think that's really going to determine what the board does. Instead, when we think of buyback authorization and the fact that it's not a requirement, for Apple to actually utilize this authorization. It doesn't force Apple to do something that it doesn't want to do. It doesn't force Tim Cook and Luca to say, well, we have to buy back shares because the board authorized X dollars. Instead, I think Apple's board is going to think about this in the following way. Following U.S. tax reform, Apple now has access to essentially its full balance sheet for the first time. In 2018, Apple spent $73 billion on share buyback. Because Apple still has so much excess cash on the balance sheet, and because management has reiterated its goal of reaching net cash neutral over time, net cash neutral means that the amount of cash on Apple's balance sheet equals the amount of debt. Well, that gives Apple's board the room, the freedom to announce a rather large increase in share buyback authorization. Because I don't think they would want Apple's management to be forced to slow down the pace of buyback for no other reason than they don't have the additional authorization that they need. It doesn't make any sense to me. So if you're a board member, I think you assume if Apple maintains its current buyback pace, let's just say $75 billion, it could be more than that. There's still a possibility Apple can spend more like 80 even $90 billion of share buyback per year in open market transactions without disrupting the share price, without disrupting the market. I think there were some questions about that last year. I had some questions about that. How much could Apple actually spend on buyback before the stock started to do some crazy things. 
given that the stock's very liquid, Apple could spend 75, 80, maybe 90 billion. So if you're the board, you're saying, okay, they could spend 80 to 90 billion next year over the next 12 months. And they already have some remaining authorization from last year. So we're not going to limit Apple management and its call on this. We are going to give them the same freedom that we did last year. And so my expectation is that Apple's board will approve an increase in buyback authorization in the range of $75 billion to $100 billion. This will bring Apple's overall buyback authorization to approximately $400 billion. There really isn't much of a difference between increasing authorization $75 billion or $100 billion. They're both big numbers. <laughs> uh, the $75 billion increase would provide Apple about $115 billion of authorization for buyback. A $100 billion increase would provide Apple more like $140 billion of available authorization. One additional point worth discussing when it comes to what Apple's board can do next week regarding buyback authorization deals with expectations. And this can get very tricky, and I don't want to overthink this topic. Nevertheless, it is somewhat intriguing. So last year, Apple's board approved a $100 billion increase to share buyback authorization. If they did that same number again this year, another $100 billion increase and share buyback authorization, would that change Wall Street's expectations? so that people begin thinking every year going forward, it's going to be some huge number like $100 billion. Because as we mentioned earlier in the episode, I do think in the coming years, the pace of buyback will probably slow a little bit. It has to match Apple's business footprint. Apple's excess cash levels are going to begin shrinking given Apple's current buyback pace. And it's thundering out. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I think this is the first time I'm recording a podcast episode in the middle of a thunderstorm. That seems hard to believe. And maybe it's just because most of our thunderstorms here in Connecticut occur later in the afternoon or evening. And I usually am already wrapped up with, with the episode. But nevertheless, if Apple's buyback pace is going to slow over time as the excess cash is reduced. Should the board begin to set expectations accordingly? And so instead of going with the $100 billion increase next week, they go with the $75 billion. And again, that's a little bit less than last year. And then maybe in 2020, they could go for either $50 billion or $75 billion. And again, this is a, an alternative to just saying $100 billion every single year. I don't think Apple is going to be able to utilize all of that authorization over time. Again, that may be overthinking it. One reason I went with a $75 billion to $100 billion range is I don't think there's a huge difference between the two. It's really just optics at that point. Nevertheless, it's something to think about. Along with announcing changes to the share buyback authorization, Apple's board is also going to announce an increase in Apple's quarterly cash dividend. 
Apple's cash dividend story continues to fly under the radar, and that's primarily because all of the press and attention goes to Apple's share buyback. One reason is you're simply talking about much larger dollar figures with buyback than you do with dividends. I think another one has to do with just perception. Many people think of dividends as more of a longer-term story, a gradual update, nothing too noteworthy versus buyback where you could have major swings year to year. We can have a high degree of confidence in saying that Apple's board is going to increase the quarterly cash dividend next week. They've increased it every year, and so this will be the seventh consecutive increase since 2013. And when gauging the magnitude of the increase, I think 10% is a floor. It's not a ceiling, it's a floor. And there are two reasons behind that claim. The first is Apple follows a stable dividend policy that is characterized by a steady dividend payout that reflects the long-term earnings potential of the company. So instead of dividends following the near-term earnings swings, the two variables align when looking at longer-term trends. Said another way, just because Apple earnings may be down in the near term, that doesn't necessarily mean Apple's dividend increases are going to slow or remain flat. Vice versa, if Apple's earnings shot higher, I don't think that necessarily means Apple's dividend will see a huge bump that year or even the following year. Instead, Apple's board is following a longer-term strategy of looking at Apple's business footprint, figuring out what the earnings potential of that footprint is, coming up with what it thinks is a reasonable dividend payout ratio, and then coming up with a trajectory for sort of having everything come together. The second factor to consider, and this is really intriguing, as Apple buys back shares, the company pays out less in the way of cash dividends. And this is made possible because the shares that Apple repurchases are retired. They're taken out of circulation. The number of shares outstanding is reduced. So Apple doesn't pay dividends on shares that they repurchased. For every 100 million shares that Apple repurchases, the company saves approximately $300 million on cash dividends per year. Since reinstating the dividend, the amount of cash that Apple has spent on dividends has increased by 30%, while the quarterly cash dividend has increased by 92%. What that tells us is that as long as Apple continues to buy back significant amounts of stock, the company will be able to increase the quarterly cash dividend by 10% and not actually incur any additional dividend expense. This is why I think the board is going to increase the dividend by more than 10% next week. My official estimate is a 14% increase to $0.83 cents per share, and that's up from $0.73 cents per share. And I do think if you're on Apple's board, you can consider this dividend impact and come away with an even greater incentive to maybe run 
with a higher share buyback authorization increase. Because you know that the more shares Apple buys back today can save the company over time when it comes to paying out less in dividend expense. This brings us to the final topic for today's episode. So far, we've gone over my expectations for Apple's board announcing major increases to the share buyback authorization and the quarterly cash dividend. And we've talked about how Apple's board has an incentive to make these changes. Apple is still sitting on more than $100 billion of excess cash. And at the beginning of the episode, we talked about how there's a debate out there over whether buyback and dividends are the right options for Apple. Is this what Apple really should be doing here? There continues to be a vocal group advocating that Apple spend the cash on something other than capital return. The thing is, the item that this group often ignores is that management is already spending tens of billions of dollars each year funding organic growth opportunities. In fiscal year 2018, Apple spent $14 billion on R&D, and that's up a ton in recent years. Apple spent $13 billion on capital expenditures. M&A was about $700 million. That's a total of $28 billion. After taking into account all of that organic growth investment and expense, Apple was still left with approximately $50 billion of free cash flow. It's that free cash flow, in addition to all of the excess cash that's already on the balance sheet, that is funding the company's capital return initiatives. In fiscal year 2018, that was $73 billion on buyback, nearly $14 billion on dividends. Piling additional cash into research and development simply as a means of spending the cash doesn't make any sense to me. A similar philosophy applies to CapEx. Apple's business model is CapEx light. So there is no logic found in Apple moving away from this model just because it's sitting on a lot of cash. Even if Apple doubled R&D and CapEx overnight, by the way, it's not going to happen, the company would still have tens of billions of dollars piling up on the balance sheet each year. The conclusion is Apple simply doesn't have that many options for getting rid of this excess cash. And again, the reason you want to get rid of excess cash is you don't want it on the balance sheet. A balance sheet with too much excess cash isn't optimal. And as that cash level increases, there is a greater possibility of the cash simply not being valued correctly in Wall Street. We talked about this in the past. There's a number of reasons for that, and I don't really want to go into that sub-segment in this episode. But the point is, in order to have an optimal balance sheet, you may need to return that access cash either back to shareholders or spend it on something. And when it comes to spending it on something, in my opinion, the only other thing that makes sense 
is M&A. Because again, Apple's already spending so much on things like R&D and CapEx, they can increase those budgets and still not going to make a big difference. But M&A could get rid of a lot of cash overnight. There's no question about it. But there is a very big problem with the M&A angle when it comes to Apple. While Apple is certainly in a position to fund additional M&A activity, and that includes acquisitions with larger price tags, there is no logic in Apple changing its M&A philosophy simply because it has access cash. Acquisitions don't suddenly become more rational simply because the acquirer has access cash and it wants to remove from the balance sheet. It just doesn't work like that. Instead, Apple continues to look at M&A as a tool for acquiring technology and talent in order to plug crucial holes in its asset base. I don't think there is anything found in Apple's DNA or culture that is at odds with acquiring companies that have larger price tags. However, I don't see Apple's DNA and culture lending itself to large M&A in terms of footprints, in terms of companies with so many divisions and segments, sprawling companies that are in 15 different industries, essentially companies with a lot of baggage. I don't see that happening. And I think one of the big reasons is culture clashes. Another reason is Apple is a toolmaker. It's a design company. That doesn't mesh with this idea of Apple acquiring massive companies with all of these different revenue streams, business models, completely different cultures. That's a recipe for disaster. Given the lack of attractive, and I would even say viable alternatives, for spending its excess cash, Apple's board still has the incentive to continue approving substantial increases to share buyback authorization and quarterly cash dividends. And I think that is going to be on display next week when Apple reports second quarter earnings. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you are interested in Apple earnings, I would point out that I have been publishing quite a bit heading into Apple earnings next week, and I will be publishing quite a bit following Apple earnings. So the past couple days, I published my Apple earnings preview. So I went over everything that I'm thinking ahead of earnings. And then next week, following the earnings release and management's conference call, I publish my earnings review, and based on what people have said about my earnings reviews, they are pretty different than what you can get elsewhere in the marketplace. I go over the major themes. I go over my full notes. Really, I go over what jumps out at me. While Apple report plenty of numbers, figures, lots of commentary, my focus is always on what is driving those numbers, what's going on behind the scenes, and what does it mean for Apple's future? All of my Apple earnings-related material research analysis and perspective is sent via email exclusively to Above Avalon members. So if you would like to receive all of that analysis 
and you're currently not an Above Avalon member, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. It's very simple. Just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. The cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to my exclusive daily updates about Apple. This is a daily email that's sent throughout the week. Each email is about 2,000 words and covers three topics. I'll talk about Apple business and strategy analysis, my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and of course, during earnings season, really, we'll go over everything there is to talk about with Apple earnings and financial estimates. Members also have access to my working Apple earnings model at no additional cost. In addition, members have access to above Avalon reports. And so these are closer examinations into Apple strategy. I publish four reports per year. These are much longer than the daily updates. And again, that is available to above Avalon members at no additional cost. So if you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in the podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member and receiving all of my analysis and perspective on Apple. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.